Welcome to Glasgow Evangelicals Podcast. Thanks for listening with us today. Our hope is that today's sermon equips you to live the gospel joyously. Come along with us as we learn to live the gospel together. But we want to we start this morning off right. So Seth is going to do a reading. Uh, we'll say a few words. Absolutely. So let's start with it. Uh, First Chronicles, it's, uh, it'll be up on the screen. First Chronicles 23 through 34. And here's what it Se- says. 16, chapter 16. S- chapter 16. Thank- there you yeah, go. we're going to read all 100, <laughs> verse, 100 chapters. Here we go. <laughs> Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and he is to be held in awe above all gods. For all the gods of all the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are his place. Ascribe to the Lord, O clans of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. And let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the fields exalt and everything in it. Then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Awesome. And what, what I would like to say to add on to that is, is not very motivating for this morning, okay? So if what you were expecting is to come into an air-conditioned building in comfortable seats and sip coffee, listen to songs that are, you almost took a drink of my coffee. I almost took a drink of my coffee, thank you. (laughs) To to listen to songs that are tailored to make us feel comfortable and excited and a message that'll make us feel good about ourselves as we leave, that is not our goal today. Our goal today in worship when we sing together is to lift up our voices to the Lord, to praise God, not self, to get uncomfortable, to get close to God and close to each other. The message that we will be listening to, uh, that that Seth will provide, um, it's not to make us feel comfortable. Hopefully what it's gonna do is engage your soul, the deepest, most inner parts of you to root out and and figure out what we need to do in our lives to, to strive to praise God more, to glorify Him more, to get closer to Him and closer to each other. And so as we are going to stand now and welcome each other, let's get our minds right to just really just get there with God today um, and, and start our week off right. And so if, if you would like to join us, we're going to welcome each other. So stand, shake somebody's hand, um, tell them that they are beautiful. If you will, why don't you flip to Hebrews chapter 11 with me, Hebrews chapter 11. So if you've been with us through the summer, we've been going through the book of Hebrews together. And um, I just kind of want to 
uh, let you know that uh, we are going to be stopping in Hebrews 11 for quite a while. Actually, we'll probably be here for the next seven weeks. And so if you're looking at me right now going, oh my goodness, or if you're going to be gone for the next three weeks and then you come back and you're like, he's still on chapter 11, what could possibly be in there? Um, here's, here's the deal. And if we've been talking about how the Old Testament has been about... Um, Actually, the chapters before chapter 11 have been all about the Old Testament and kind of what God is doing and, and how he's kind of moving forward with his plan. I think that um, in chapter 11, we see him going back to the Old Testament. But in this, he's actually giving us examples of people of the faith, how they've, how they've taken God's plan and how they can continue to move on in faith. And so um, these people are those who have gone before us. They've given us lessons and uh, lessons of their lives and are a testament to who God is and how we can relate to him. So as we look back at the cross and salvation, uh, you have to remember that they looked forward to the salvation of the Messiah. And so I think there's a lot of things that we can glean from it. And I don't want to just kind of go, oh, here's these people. Let's move on. So we're, we're going to be taking kind of each character, probably about three characters at a time. And so today we're going to look at the lives of Abel, Enoch, and Noah. And so let's read chapter 11, verses 1 through 7 together. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by, ex God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, and reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he, con he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. Let's pray. May your word be true this morning, Lord. May our hearts be open and our ears to listen. In your name we pray. Amen. The very first thing that I, I want to talk about is what is faith? Because I think that uh, if we actually thought about this, I, I think faith is, um, is all around us whether we choose to accept it or not. Um, if you didn't think that you had faith in your paycheck, just wait until the 17th when it didn't show up into your bank account after the 15th, right? We had faith that it was going to be there. We've been working, and so, hey, we have faith that that paycheck is going to be there. We don't call it faith, right? We call it, well, I worked hard, so I get my money, right? 
We have faith that every single day that we're going to go out, we have this key that we plug into a car and we turn it, and it either starts or doesn't start. But we have faith every day. We don't do something interesting. We don't like go jump around it and pray over it, right? We just get in, we turn the key, it starts, and we get going. But what happens as soon as it doesn't turn on? We have faith that <laughs> yesterday, right? I own a boat. And the one thing about owning a boat that my kids love is that when we're out on the water, there's not like a specific age where you can drive. And so my eight-year-old drove our boat the other day on the lake. There was no boats around. We made sure. And then my nine-year-old drove and my 11-year-old drove. And I'm like, yeah, these kids got it. These kids have it. Like I had faith in my kids. And so yesterday when we went out to do the boats out at uh, Kiwanis Park, out at the Interpretive Center, they have these little electric boats, right? And so I had clear faith that my kids got this handled. I have had never had more anxiety after watching the first one go because you know what they did? They let my five-year-old get in the boat and drive. Little Lila and Sarah are driving this boat, right? They, get, they gave them the keys to this boat, right? They have faith in these kids to do what's right. And by the way, um, one of my kids Drove right up onto the rocks, got stuck. Another kid, he, Silas, he was smart. He just kept on going circles and they told him, tell him to stop. So he, he was doing amazing. And Sarah, she just didn't even get around the lake, right? It was just like they just kept on doing these circles because when we, anyway. What I'm saying is, is I think sometimes we have faith and what if it's misguided? Because I was fully confident my kids are going to get in this boat and they are going to be good. Faith in what they were happening, what's going on. But is that really what faith is? Or is it just us kind of telling ourselves that this is under control? Maybe faith is just overconfidence sometimes. And right away, the author, after talking about Jesus the whole entire time and saying, hey, put your trust in Jesus, he simply says, now this is what faith is. He underlines it. He's got it down. And he says, those of you who are going to follow Christ, this is what you need to understand. Verse 1 is right there. And so if you're taking notes with me this morning, you can just fill in the blank, whatever, if you have your Bible with you and you can write down what it, it has. But mine says this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The assurance of things hoped for. What is he talking about? He's talking about the things of that Jesus is what this, what he's actually been saying that he is, that he's the son of God, that he was placed there by God, that he was there at the very beginning, that he has the power to be our high priest, that he has the power to be greater than anything that we ever put in our lives. And he is God. And that he is coming back again and that he will set up his throne so that we can live with him in eternity that is the assurance of things hoped for. That is what this faith is all about. It's faith in Jesus Christ. Last week I talked to you about, talked to you about the idea of, first of all, we trust. Actually, we turn towards God's ways and we trust that his ways are the best. Which then leads to the next thing. If we have faith and things hoped for, that is turning the next part is trusting, and that is the conviction that faith is the conviction of things not seen. It means that if we're actually doing what he's asking us to do, maybe we're not going to see 
all the blessings right away. Maybe we're not going to understand what's really going on, but here's the deal that we live out our convictions, that as we walk with God, and we're gonna, we're gonna look at that a little bit, but as we're doing the things of God, as we're trusting who God is, we live out the convictions in our life, even when it's absolutely countercultural, even when it's completely against what the rest of the world is trying to tell us. And those convictions come from the scripture come from the commandments, come from the teachings of Jesus Christ, come from the lives of those before us. And so the author of Hebrews starts right on in, in, verses, in verse four. And so today we're gonna look at Abel, Enoch, and Noah together. And we're gonna see how they had assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Right away, Verses four, in verse four, it says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gift and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. I kind of talked to you guys a little bit a couple weeks ago that there are some passages in scripture where we get lots of detail of a person's life and there are some that we don't get tons of detail. And so in this case, actually, we get about 16 verses. And so if, you're, if you have your Bibles, you can flip to Genesis chapter 4 with me. And we're only going to look at, um, I think I said 3 through 8 up there. And so here's, here's what we're going to read, three, verses 3 through 8. Now, I'm just going to let you know that Cain and Abel were Adam and Eve's first children, right? Okay? And so they, they were the first boys. And this, I don't know if you realize this, and it kind of blew my mind after looking at this, but Cain and Abel are not 16 and 17 years old at this time, just to let you know. Um, figures out that we, we look at it that Cain and Abel are about 127 and 129 years old at this time. Okay, and so they've been around for a while. They understand what's going on. It's not like all of a sudden, I always kind of thought, oh, well, what if, what if Cain just offered a better sacrifice? Other way around. What if Abel just offered a better sacrifice and Cain just didn't do a very good job? Actually, no, they know what they're supposed to be doing at this time. Okay, they've seen their parents walk with God. Their parents walked in the garden with God. They sinned. And the very first thing that happens to cover up their sin, God kills a goat. And there we have our first sacrifice. We clothe Adam and Eve. And so Cain and Abel are not, they're not new to this thing. They're not trying to figure this out. They already understand that there's a sacrificial system. And so let's get into it. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. Can you imagine this? Now, just this next verse right here. The Lord has a personal relationship with Cain. He talks to Cain and this is what he says. Why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke 
to Abel his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. He had the warning right there. But this story isn't about Cain. It's about Abel. Because in Abel's life, through, these, through this verse 4, we see three very distinct things from Abel's life that I think needs to help us to understand how we have faith in action. And the first one is this, is that we see worship. We see worship. Just to let you know, sacrifice is a part of worship. That they bring their first fruits and they give it to God. That they're making an offering to him. It's worship. It's laying down part of their life and saying, would you please accept this? And they knew what was acceptable worship. But I think we make worship kind of, kind of like what Brian said a little bit is we want worship to be comfortable, right? We want worship to be, the kind, for some of us, we want worship to be the kind of music we like, right? We want worship to be the right time. We want worship to be, uh, man, uh, comfortable. And I think that Abel and all of this understands that worship is a little bit different. That first, worship takes obedience. Worship takes obedience. Well, how do you be obedient, though? And you're, when you're in Cain's, or when, sorry, when you're in Abel's life, how do you know obedience? It's because he's heard. It's because he's heard what he's supposed to be doing. Romans 10, 17 actually uh, sums it up really nicely. Tony, if you have it there before that screen. It says, so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. He'd already understood everything. He's, <laughs> they're walking with God, right? In Genesis chapter 4, we already see that happening. But it takes obedience. It takes the next step of going, I've heard what's going on. I understand the words of Christ, and now I'm going to move forward. Cain's worship wasn't obedience. Cain figured his worship was good enough, and God's system was a bit flawed. But Abel's worship was out of obedience. And the next part that I think worship takes is the right attitude. The right attitude. I wonder what happens when we have the right attitude when it comes to worship. Where's our hearts? Proverbs 3, 5 says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. If there's two different things here, I, I, I find it interesting that attitude could have just been switched a little bit by having worship for God and wanting to be obedient to him. And so our hearts are changed in that we trust with we trust that God's way is the best way and we don't lean on our own understanding. There's two differences here because what happens, God meets with Cain and he says, you better watch out. You better change your attitude here a little bit because if you don't change your attitude, you're going to actually be going into sin. And what do we see in the very next verse? He doesn't change his attitude and he kills his brother. We have to be careful of where our hearts are at, where our attitudes are at when it comes to worship and when it comes to faith. The second thing in second character of Abel's life is this and found in verse four is that he has righteous. He is righteous. He has righteousness, actually, as some of us can say. 
But we have to be careful because this righteousness actually is not imparted on ourselves. Righteousness comes from having worship and being obedient and having the right attitude. How do we see that um, he is righteous is because God commended him righteous by accepting his gifts. And some of us would ask the question like, well, how do we know that? How do we see that? And it's probably a very visible thing. It wasn't that like they both put out their stuff in the mornings and in the morning and God was like, yeah, I picked that one over that one. No, we see it constantly over and over again where God actually comes down and consumes the gifts through fire. And because he was pleased, because God was pleased with him, God counted him as righteousness. Would you pull up 1 John 3.12 for me? So here it is. Not as Cain, who was, the, who was the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. You see, when we have worship and we have obedience and the right attitude, it comes to us as being righteous. And the third character that faith produces in Abel's life is that he becomes a witness. That he becomes a witness. I love verse 4, the very last sentence. And through his faith, though he died, still he speaks. We're still talking about him 2,000 years later. Well, not 2,000 years later. Lots of years later. Let's, I'm not doing the math because you know how, yeah. Thousands and thousands of years later, we're still talking about him. All because his worship was out of obedience and the right attitude. And that he was counted righteous. And as we do that, we become witnesses. Faith and worship will always produce practical living and authentic righteousness. Which will have a lasting witness. And I didn't put that in your notes there, but look up James 2, 17 through 18 later on. Check it out. I think it kind of sums all of this stuff up together. Is It's okay for us to say, hey, we have faith, but what about the action part of it? What about the action part of it? And now we come to my favorite person of this uh, section of scripture, Enoch. Uh, first of all, it's really fun to say Enoch, uh, but second of all, I, I'm telling you, uh, his story is phenomenal. It's found in Genesis chapter 5, and if uh, I'll give you a little bit of background. Uh, Enoch was the father of the longest living uh, person in the history ever recorded. Do, does anybody know who that is? Methuselah. How old did Methuselah live for? Yeah, 969 years. That's ridiculous, right? Good night. I'm telling you, 969 years. I mean, think about what's happening. But anyway, we're not on to Methuselah. We're on Enoch. Enoch happened to live for 365 years. But here's what's phenomenal about Enoch, okay? In verses 21, in Genesis 5, 21 through 24, it says this. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of, Enoch's were, of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God 
and he was not, for God took him. Enoch lived, or you could put it this way, uh, Enoch is still living, right? He's ne he never died, but he walked this earth for 365 years. This is crazy to me because it is one of the first people that actually we see that it says that God walked with Enoch. That he, or better yet, that he walked with Enoch. So here's the deal. 24-7, 365 days a year for 365 years, Enoch walked with God. Talk about an amazing faith story. And then, because God was so pleased with him, he says, hey, I'm not going to let you die. I'll just take you up to heaven to be with me. I wonder what that was like. Because Amos 3.3 says this. Can you pull it out for me? Thank you. Do two men walk together unless they have made an appointment? This is why this verse is phenomenal to me, is this. It is not so much that Enoch tried to walk with God, but that God every single day said, hey, let's make an appointment to walk together. So not only did Enoch want to walk with God, but God wanted to walk with Enoch. They made plans together. They sat down and said, hey, what's going on in life? What, what really is happening? And I can imagine for 365 years, Enoch saw all of what was going on in the world and knew that it was bad. And he could sit there and he was going, what's going on, God? And God would be able to say, hey, just wait. There was a Messiah coming. He's got to know the plans of God after walking with him for 365 years. In fact, Micah 6, 8 kind of gives an incredible picture of the life that God is asking us to live. And I'm always, and I know that I did not put this up there, did I? No, I did. He has told you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Could you imagine the life, the stories that Enoch could tell us after 365 years of sitting with God, of walking with him and of talking with him? Because they were both together on the same path in the same place. They had fellowship with each other, which actually brought righteousness. That when we have fellowship with God, God changes us. God moves us and directs us. And here's the deal. At some point, faith had to come first in walking with God. It wasn't just one day going, hey God, I, 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 I know you exist. No, he had to have faith in what the process was. James says it beautifully. He, he says, hey, do you believe in God? Yep, even the demons do. There's not a demon in the universe who is an atheist. And yet in this dark times, Enoch was going, no, I want to have faith in this God. I want to walk with him. I want to have faith that pleases God. And so what does that look like? Because in Hebrews chapter 11, it goes into a little bit more detail of Enoch's life in verses 5 and 6. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. 
Here's what's fantastic, is there's two things that are pulled from this scripture that the author definitely wants us to understand about Enoch's life. And the faith to walk with God requires two things. The first is that we believe that God exists. That we believe that God exists. Not a made-up God, not a God of, oh, there's some God of all this universe and there's a creator out there and ah, uh, maybe. But no, that God exists in this God right here. The one who is the creator and a sustainer of all things. The one that is personal to us. The one that is consistently trying to draw people to him who are trying to redeem people, to save people, to bring them back to how they were originally created to be. Not just a God. And the second is this, that God rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now this might be interesting because I was really afraid of actually saying uh, this idea of a prosperity gospel. That if you seek God, he will give you everything you want. No, that's, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about that when two people are together on the same path, in the same place, desiring fellowship together and desiring to do what is right, we start to understand that this God cares and this God does reward us. The reward happens to be in uh, our faith is that we have eternal life. That's all, what, that's all we could ever ask for. It's not that we have perfect health. That is not that we have all the money in the world to buy all the things we ever needed to buy. It's not that we have all the pleasure and I have every happy day. But no, that is that we understand that God's plan for us is that we would have life in him and have it abundantly. And so as we walk with him, we see those. And so the faith to walk with God requires that we believe that he exists not this made up thing, not this thing of what we want him to do for us, but actually being with him and allowing everything that follows as we walk with him to be up to him. And then, then there comes Noah. After all these long lines of people, and Noah's the only ray of light in the world at this time. And Hebrews 11 7 says this of him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah's faith is a little bit different because Abel's faith comes from worshiping God and being a witness. And Enoch's faith comes from walking with God. Noah's faith comes from believing God's warning of events to come. Noah's faith allowed him to believe. That brought obedience, that brought a witness, that brought righteousness, that brought salvation. And so, what does that look like? Let's go all the way to Genesis 6, 7 through 8. And this is what it says. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animal and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So, so God comes to Noah and says, hey, I want you to build this ark, and I want you to make it by this many, if you read that piece of scripture in 
verse, I, the rest of the six through whatever. Uh, man, just trying to follow those, like schematics, blueprints, uh, this cubit, that cubit, I want you to make it this long and this big and this one and this one. And then I'm going to bring all these animals on and Noah just says, okay, I'll do it. I'll, okay, I've got it. Okay, I, I'll do it. Could you imagine building something for over 100 years? He built this yark. He built this yark. He built this ark for more than 100 years. Every single day working on building an ark. I don't know if God talked to him. I don't know if God was sitting there telling him things. I don't know if God was maybe just uh, the foreman of the thing saying, hey, build this today. You're going to build this. I, I don't know how that works. Bill Cosby has a really funny statement where, I mean, just uh, Noah keeps working over and over again. All of a sudden you hear this, hey, Noah, right? Ding. And he's like, yes. And then he goes back to work and Noah the whole entire time is building this ark while everybody around him is telling him that he's an absolute fool, that he's doing it wrongly that he's listening to some weird God and that he is absolutely crazy. And so Noah's faith comes from the first thing is reverence, obedient, reverent obedience. He listened to God. He actually took to heart what God was going to say. I am going to blot out what I've created and I'm sorry that I've created it. And I don't want to, I don't, <laughs> it's not going to be around anymore. And so I'm going to send a flood. And Noah heard that and said, okay, I'm going to be obedient to whatever you need because I know your God and I am not. And then his second way of having faith is that he had practical obedience, that every day he woke up and he said, God, I'm going to build the ark. It's incredibly serious that in verse 7, he says, and he built the ark and in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household and by this, he condemned the world, and he became an heir. By this, meaning by his practical obedience to building this ark and his reverent fear of who God was, he built the ark. And by building the ark, he was saying, all the rest of you are going to die, but my family is going to live. And in the end, it brings salvation. And every single bit of these three guys' lives. Through Noah, we see salvation by listening to what God is asking him to do, by believing God's warning. Salvation came to Enoch by being and walking with God and having righteousness. And Abel had salvation through his worship of who God was. And so I guess I have one last question for you. Do you desire to worship in obedience and attitude, or is it just lip service? Do you desire to walk with God, or do you just want him to do things for you? And do you desire <clears throat> to believe God's warnings in the scripture that says, you are a sinful people, you need salvation through Christ alone? Or do you try to make it about so much else, about having faith 
in the people around us, by having faith in our paychecks, by having faith in doing good, because all of those are just a treadmill. Because it says in the scripture that God is going to come back, that Jesus is going to come back, and that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Are you going to do it now or are you just going to wait? Because when we do it now, there's obedience to be had. There's hearts and attitudes to be changed. There is lots of miles to be walked with God. And there is practical things that he wants us to do every day to continue to bring people into faith. And so we're gonna, I'm going to ask the worship band to come forward and sing a song about Jesus being our rescue and he's our savior. And I wonder if you have ever come to the point of saying, I'm, I want Jesus to be my savior. I want to worship him the way that he's due. I want to believe that he exists, not just say, oh yeah, there's a God out there, but actually believe in what he's doing in his plan so that I can walk with him and that I could follow him in obedience and practical obedience. If you've never done that before, I just invite you this morning that as we're singing this song, that you would just do that in your seat. It's, it's the easiest thing ever. God, I've never accepted you into my heart and I know that I'm wicked and I know that I need a savior and I want to be a person who walks with you, who worships you and has obedience. Just talk to him. If you have any questions, come and talk to Brian or Terry and I at the end of the service and just chat with us. We'll, we'd love to pray with you and we'll be up here afterwards for a while to do just that. For those of you in this room who have maybe been going to church for absolutely tons of years and you've just, just expected Jesus to do all these things for you, and you really haven't worshiped him in the way that you need to because maybe the song words weren't right or maybe it was, I don't know. Maybe you need to take this time to go, God, I wanna worship you in a different way. Change my attitude. There are some of us that still won't practically be obedient to God. We don't every day wake up going, hey, give me your schematics for today for me. Instead, we just go about our day and by the end of 100 years, we haven't built anything that looks like a boat. Because I wonder if we would realize that Jesus is our life raft. And so when, you, when we worship, would you give God the glory that he's due? Let's pray. God, do we want to be people who are characterized by worship, are characterized by righteousness because we've walked with you and that we have salvation because not only do we believe in who you are, but we have, we've been obedient to your word that we've sought to change our hearts and our minds for your sake. So God, would we worship you this morning? In your holy name we pray.
one thing I think we, we sometimes can get confused by is that God needs our faith. God needs me, Brian, to do the things that Seth has asked and shown us through the verses today. Our God is not that small. Our God does not need any of us. This is actually how we show faith is, is by bringing stuff to God. Please don't think that we are assisting God by showing him faith. Let me, let me just look real quick. God could have killed Cain on the spot. He could have said, this offering was good. I needed that, thank you. This one's not good enough. I needed better, Psst, dead. But there was a story in the killing of Abel. There's a story in that. There's a faith story in that. With Enoch, God didn't have to even tell us his name. And with Noah, you don't think God could build his own boat? Did God need Noah? No, but the amazingness that has happened is through Noah's story. There's a, there's a theory that, that before Noah's ark, there was not a boat. This is the first boat ever on the planet. Is there a chance that God in your life is asking you to build a boat? Something that nobody's even thought of yet so that he can show the world. How many people before Noah did, did God ask to build a boat? And they're like, what's a boat? God doesn't need this. God desires to use your life to show him. Your faith brings others to Christ. God will do it without you. But I don't want to barely get to heaven. I don't want to say that, that through grace alone, through Christ alone, and me just staying in my bed all day is how I got to heaven. I want to know that the story of God asking me to build some weird thing or walk in some weird direction or spend my money in an unusual way, every, every one of these stories, do you think, Cain maybe looked at Abel and was like, what are you doing? That's your firstborn. That's the one that tastes the best. Everybody around Enoch was like, man, have you, haven't, have you, you haven't even been to the bar. Like, come on, man. Like, you got to try this. God will forgive you. Noah had a lot better things to do for a hundred years. With our faith, we are going to look weird. We're going to look different. And people aren't going to like us. This, this walk with God, with our worship and our sacrifices and what he asked us to build is between you and God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close today with a, a little story. My, my daughter's phone died yesterday. I told her a bunch of stuff in text and I didn't realize she wasn't getting it. And so when we did finally see face to face, I was a little upset. <laughs> like this, that, and the other thing, and sorry, didn't read your message. I don't want to get to heaven, and that be my story. God sent us the message. Your walk in faith is right here. If you don't know what God is telling you, charge your phone. 
Look, read, let's pray. Lord, we, we deserve none of what we have. Lord, we thank you for all we have. The blessings that we have just represented right here in this room. The amazingness of where we were born, who has helped raise us, the people in our lives, the funding and the, the skills that you have given us. Lord, those blessings, as we tell everybody around us that there are blessings, may they not stop with us. Lord, may we take the gifts, the talents, the treasures that, that you've given to us, and may we do your will. May this community be changed because of our faith. Up on this hill, may it look so weird, like we're building a boat, preparing for a flood, but Lord, you are coming back. Let's live life starting now as if you're coming back tomorrow, Lord. That every step in faith can show how crazy in love we are with you and how crazy in love you are with us. Lord, we love you. We love you, we love you, we love you. And we ask all of these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Have a good day. Thanks for joining us again for another sermon of the GEC podcast. Connect with us at GlasgowEC.com or every Sunday morning at 10 here in Glasgow, Montana. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes because this helps us share the word with more people. See you next week.